0: I gotta say, man, you guys sound amazing. When I was sitting up in front and I could hear you guys singing from the background, it was just like wow. It's just sweetness. Um I just kinda wanna jump off of a little bit that Craig was talking about, even about the five K and the Blessings While Broken um ministry. Um I don't know, you know, some of you guys are new, the, the Blessing While Broken came about because a couple in our fellowship lost their son. Um, it's almost going to be a year, and the Lord raised up this ministry, and um, it was just last night we had a leadership meeting, and they were sharing with us what they're being able to do, and and this five K is to raise support and money to kind of reach out to the families who have lost uh, kids, especially, and they were sharing with us about an incident uh, of a little baby dying the other day, got basically got killed, and they were able to, they got the phone call somehow because somebody in the high desert heard about this ministry, and they got a hold of them, and And I was tripping last night as, at this meeting because it's like, man, as a little church here in Phelan, we are being able to reach way more beyond our little community here because this family they've been able to minister to so many people in the high desert and now the name has gotten out. Blessings Well Broken comes alongside when somebody has lost a loved one and they come and they give them a basket with stuff that they will need for that week just to get them by kind of. And there's always some money in there to to help during that week. And so that's what this 5K is all about, you know. And so it's just blowing my mind because We're talking about that and how God is going to use this in the Victor Valley because there's people from all over the Victor Valley who are now coming to their house in Oak Hills every other week to be ministered to because they have this meeting. And as we were in the meeting, there was another brother who was talking about the ministry that he's involved in. It's a trucking ministry. And we have guys from our church here that go on a weekly basis to... The truck stops to go do messages, to go do services. And he was talking about over in Barstow, because we go all the way out to Barstow to go do a ministry out there. And I'm going, wow, that's amazing. We reach all the way to Barstow. And then on every Sunday morning for the last 20 some years, we've been doing a, a prison ministry at the Finner Fire Camp, at the minimum security camp in Vallejo for over 20 years. Every Sunday, we have guys going out there and, and sharing. And I'm going, wow, Lord, you're, you're, you're reaching out. You're, you've used us in so many ways, and we're a small little church here in Phelan. And I was just blown away that we're, we're able to be a part of all that. And the vision that the Lord gave me, if you're new here, a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago when I took over was upreach, inreach, Outreach. And last year, my heart was that we would do upreach and in and kind of come together and begin to grow once again and, and all the stuff that God wants to do within us. And this year, my heart has been for outreach. And that's what this, this 5K is going to be all about, outreaching. And then at the end of the month, we have the Harvest America that we're going to be uh, sponsoring here and another outreach to where we can reach out to our community and bring people in to come and hear the message. But in the next few months, we have uh, the feast that kind of will feed some of the people in our minister- in, in our community that needs meals and, and for Thanksgiving and stuff. And so we get to go do that. And then we have the the Christmas Eve service that's coming up right away. And it's going to be at the pack. And, and again, another thing that we can use for an outreach is to say, hey, come and listen to what God has to say. And so... I want to encourage you guys to be praying, and we're going to, before we get into the message, I want to just kind of, I want you to pray. It's going to be a quiet time right now, but I want you not to, not not just to pray for me and for the message this morning, but ask God, Lord, where do I fit in? How do I get involved? How do I reach outreach (laughs) in our life? And so I just want a quiet prayer And then we'll get into the message so you pray for the message you pray for today and you pray that god um i don't know ministers to your heart so let's just take a time of of prayer Father, again, we just humbly come before you, Lord, thanking you for the privilege of coming before your presence. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. (coughs) This has to be said as uh, we continue in the book of James. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been in James 3. And if we thought that James 3 was a hard chapter, in that we were talking about the tongue and worldly wisdom, if you've been here, if, if you thought that this, this chapter was hard-hitting straight up and in your face, <laughs> I must say, chapter 3 was child's play as we get into chapter 4 of James, because... As we get into chapter 4 of James, it seems like James was just getting started as he was wanting to drive home the point that he was making in chapter 3. It's almost like he was just getting his feet wet in chapter 3 before he dove in full force to kind of really tell us what needs to be happening. And this is not to scare you Is to prepare you for this chapter. It's to, to, to get you ready um, that you would receive exactly what the Word of God is trying to tell us here. Because if we don't bridle our tongue, as it says in chapter 3, if, if we don't use wisdom that comes from above, then, then we will have constant conflicts in our lives. And what James does here in this chapter, chapter 4 of James, what he does is shows us some of the effects that will happen in our lives if we let our tongue and we let worldly wisdom run amok in our lives. And so be ready. Get ready. Verse 1. We're covering six verses this morning. It says in verse 1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from the, your desires for pleasure? That war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says... God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, this is a, a, some strong words that are being shared here, and I really don't relish the, the, the time that I have sharing with you, even though it might sound like, man, you're getting pretty intense here, bro. You're kind of enjoying kind of letting us have it, like James was letting them, letting us, letting them have it. And it's like, no, not at all. If anything, it was a, it was another conviction, powerful thing as God was dealing with my own life, <laughs> as I'm reading this portion of Scripture. And it's interesting because when we go back to verse 1, and, and, and he starts by saying, where do wars and fights come from among you? And it's interesting because last week, as we were talking about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of man, we were looking at different words that were associated with the wisdom of, 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 the world, of heaven and the wisdom of man. There was different words that were associated with the two. And we saw words like bitter, envy, self-seeking, boasting, lying, earthly, sensual, demonic, confusion, every evil thing, were associated with the wisdom from below. And then we had words that were associated with the wisdom from above. Words like pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And now James starts this next sentence, his next sentence, with words like, wars and fights. And it's interesting because again last week we were looking at this these this you know wisdom and then that wisdom and the contrast there and now he goes back to starting off by talking about wars and fights. And these words wars and fights both of them combined carry words like disputes, strife, quarrels, contentions, controversy, striving, and battles. (laughs) Man, James, come on, take it easy, bro. You know, you're just like, man, you know, you you have the wisdom from above, and it looks like this, and then you have the wisdom of this world, and it looks like this, and then he continues on in in talking about what kind of goes on around this area, (laughs) the world, the things that we battle with day in and day out. And so as we're looking at the contrasts that we have here, it is apparent, it is plain to see that, that the brothers, the believers back in the day that he is writing to were not perfect. <laughs> they weren't perfect. And we often think, man, if we can only go back to like the original church, to the way it used to be when it first started off, guess what? That's who he's writing to, those people. And so it is apparent that these people were not singing Kumbaya every day. They were not like, we are the world, we are the children. They, they, they weren't like all lovey-dovey. They were supposed to be, but they weren't. He's writing to them, and so we're looking at this going, man, oh man, they look just like us. <laughs> and so James, because he's having to deal with this, he he, he addresses the situation, and I'm... I'm sure it broke his heart to have to write a letter like this, to, to use these kinds of words to these people that he loved. I'm sure when he heard about the constant conf- conflicts that were going on within the church, he had to address it. Unity and humility were supposed to be ruling the day. After all, they are the original. They were the original church, man. A lot of them had witnessed Jesus live. And unity and humility was supposed to be the norm. And yet, that wasn't the case. Division and pride was on display instead. As he's writing this to them. Now, I want to give you my translation of these three verses. It's not from the Amplified. Although I did steal from it. But I came up with with a a translation that would kind of be just hopefully something that we can understand. So these three verses, as we already read them, hopefully you were paying attention, as we're reading these three verses, here's my translation. Try to follow along. Where do conflicts and arguments come from between people? Do they not come when we don't get what we want? Someone's not acting the way we want them to. They said something that we didn't agree with, so there's a rift that comes between the two. So you become resentful and yearn for what you do do not have because your desires have gone unfulfilled. So you begin to hate. And anger gets built up because you cannot obtain the gratification and contentment and happiness that you think you deserve or long for. So you contend and do battle. Yet you do not have peace because you don't ask for it. And when you do ask for it, You don't get it because you're asking with the wrong motives. Your intention is that when you do get what you desire, it was just to get your own way, to be right once again. (laughs) Now if that sounds familiar, it's because it sounds a lot like us. (laughs) It is exactly who we are. We are these people that he is writing about. We as believers are no different than the believers of the first century. We are no different than what James is writing to them about because they were having wars and conflicts amongst each other. They were coming, coming at each other, going at each other. Because they wanted their way. Just like we want our way, don't we? We're such babies when we don't get our way. I know the way I get. And if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, no, none of us are babies, Zeke. You're the only baby up there. (laughs) It's like, no. You're going to make me angry. And I'm going to war and fight against you. You see, man is just wired this way. We get upset in inwardly, we might not show it, because we're good hypocrites. We might not show it outside, but inwardly, man, we are like battling and we are upset when we don't get what we want and how we want it. Conflicts are a way of life, outwardly, but inwardly, they're just a way of life. They have been around from the very beginning. And I'm not talking about Adam and Eve, although they were married. And so, you know, there was some conflicts there, especially that day around the tree. I'm sure there was an argument and the woman won out once again when she made her husband take the fruit. I'm just saying. But that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about their children, Cain and Abel. And most of you guys know that story. It didn't go Cain's way, and he got angry, and his anger turned to murder. (laughs) And you might be thinking, really, that quick? It's like, yeah, kind of that quick. Sounds a little extreme, but from anger to murder, it can happen that quick. (laughs) Just like that. Jesus basically said in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you are angry in your heart. You can pass the same kind of judgment as one who commits murder. Judgment can be passed that quick. And so right now I kind of like would take a little detour. Go go to Je- Genesis chapter 4 if you'd, if you'd like. You don't have to but I'm going to take a little detour. A little diversion. Then we'll get back to to James chapter 4. I'd like to look at the conflict between Cain and Abel before we go back. And I want to take a look at, as we're reading that little short story there, of what God says to Cain. We're in verse 3 of chapter 4. Now in the process of time... It came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the first fruit, firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you will do well, if you do well, you will not be, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. It's interesting it's interesting what he shares with him but it wasn't abel's fault that god accepted or respected his offering it, it wasn't his fault that he did what he was supposed to do and cain gets so angry with his brother because of that and yet it wasn't abel's abel's fault he just did what god had required of him and Cain got angry, and even though he got angry, very angry, it says, God challenged him. He challenged them and told them, "You don't have to stay there being angry. You you, you don't have to remain in that place. You can rule over it. That's what he is telling him in these verses." And I like. How God uses or says, sin lies at the door. If you don't do well, sin lies at the door. If you don't change your attitude, bro, sin lies at the door right there. And that that phrase, the, the, the word is crouching as a lion hunting its prey. It is crouching ready to pounce. That's what he means by sin lies at the door. And I truly believe that God uses this picture of a door and sin or, or sin lying right there, like ready to pounce. I, I, I truly believe because, because he said this to, to Cain and it goes to, to, uh, to us as well. Because he gives us the opportunity to shut the door on sin. If sin lies at the door, then there's something that we can close or we can leave open and let sin come on in and pounce upon us. And I think oftentimes when, when God is telling us and we're upset, He's saying, Hey, you can master this, you can close the door on sin if you want. And oftentimes we don't want to close the door because we want to pounce on somebody else. We we want to stay angry. And when we stay angry, we, we, we become like that sin that's coming in. We become like that and we pounce on someone else so we can hurt them. And yet God says, but you should rule over it. You have the ability to rule over it, God tells him. You should be able to master it. But here's the struggle. Here's the here's the battle that we have. Sometimes we do, sometimes we do shut the door, and sometimes we don't. And I'll put it this way: sometimes we want to shut the door, and sometimes we don't want to shut the door. We want to stay angry. We want to we want sin to pounce in and have its way in our lives. And again, you you're thinking, oh no, not me. It's like yeah, you do. Every one of us. Every one of us has a choice to make when we see that sin lies at the door. And as much as we, as human beings, are prone to sin, because it is our sin nature, God has given us the ability to choose. He has given us the ability to choose to sin or not to sin. Especially in the light of the cross. Especially if you've come to the cross and you understand what the cross means. That the cross is where we are delivered from sin. We are free from sin at the cross. The chains were broken at the cross. The chains of, of sin... Jesus did that so that I mean he died on the cross he shed his blood to forgive us but he stayed on the cross to die so that he can deliver the fruit of the spirit part of the fruit of the spirit that dwells within us the spirit of God is self-control that's that's one of the aspects of the fruit of the spirit And when we are walking in the Spirit, we are not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Whenever we are doing the work of the Spirit, we are not sinning in that sense. We are not fulfilling what our desires are. This is a constant conflict. There's this constant conflict that's occurring at all times within ourselves, inside here. And it is between the flesh and it is between the spirit. This is what Paul tells the Galatians in Galatians 5:16 through 18. And you can write these down to go back to them. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, this is where it all starts. (laughs) We have constant conflicts within ourselves. We battle and we contend and, and we strive within ourselves. And sometimes we lose and sometimes we win. Because there's this battle going on. Now, if we were honest with ourselves as Christians, we would have to say that it was easier when we weren't trying to live a godly life because we didn't have the conviction of not sinning. I mean, I—I'll I, I'll, grant it. Sometimes we felt bad when we did something as non-Christians, but it didn't change the fact that we still liked to sin. And so, it was much easier when we weren't trying to live a godly life. The battle began. And it started when we asked Jesus into our life, and this Holy Spirit is now with us and in us, and we're going, I don't want to do the same thing I used to do. And all of a sudden, your flesh is going, but I still want to. I still want to every moment of the day. And you're going, no, but I have Jesus in me. I know, but I want to go sin. I know, but I don't want to sin. And then you're going back and forth, and you're just like, ah! Constant battle. Because if we didn't have this kind of conflict then we'd just go along with the flow. (laughs) But this is what it means to go against the flesh. That you will have conflict. This is what it means to go against this world system and what it tells you that you should be doing. This is what it means to go against Satan himself. That now you want to go contrary to what he has been telling you for all your life because we have been ruled by these, the flesh, the world, and Satan, for our, all, all our lives. They, they were ruling over us. And the, the moment we decided, I want Jesus in my life, now there's a battle. Now there's a conflict. Now we have to fight this, this, this life, you know. Because we did exactly what the world and our flesh and Satan wanted us to do. And so we fight and we war within ourselves. And unfortunately, when we can't or we won't use self-control and we end up succumbing to the flesh, the world, and to Satan, this is when we we begin to war and to fight among ourselves because of this internal battle that's happening all the time, that we're battling all the time, and we're selfish in that um, our flesh wants to take over, when, when it begins to, to overflow, <laughs> when it begins to, to spill out, we take it out on others. We end up yelling at them, we end up going after them. And they, I can guarantee you it's because it started in here because they said something or they did something or they didn't do something that you wanted done and, and inside you're getting upset and all of a sudden it's like, Bleh! And all of a sudden you're going for it. It begins to spill out. And it's interesting because we as as Christians... As believers, we are part of the same family. We are part of the same family as believers. We have the same spiritual father. We have the same spiritual uh, or the same Jesus Christ. We trust in him. We're all indwelt with the same Holy Spirit. And yet we war and we fight amongst ourselves. (laughs) We're family. Why are we doing this to one another? Why do we go off on somebody? Why do we desire to hurt someone else? And it's interesting because when that begins to happen, the world looks on from the outside and they say, Oh my, oh my, how they hate one another. (laughs) I thought they were the ones that were supposed to love one another. And look at them. And Satan sits back and he smiles and he says, well, I may have lost you to heaven, but I am making you so ineffective right now <laughs> because you look like and you act like exactly like the world in your fighting and your warring against one another. You would have thought by now, <laughs> after all these years, that the church of Jesus Christ would have gotten it right. Right? <laughs> That that, that we would look at the book of James and throughout the the years, the the centuries that that, that it's been out that we would go like, yeah, these guys never got it right, but man, we get it right because we've evolved to getting it right. It's like, yeah, right. (laughs) We're just like them, aren't we? What we read here applies to us today because we're just like them. Things haven't changed. The battles that they were going through, the wars that they were having with one another are the same ones that we have in and amongst ourselves. There's always that constant battle, that constant conflict. But it goes back to what we learned a couple of weeks ago. It's all about the tongue. It goes back to the tongue. It goes back to the, the, the previous chapter. It's about the wisdom that comes from man. The world and Satan himself. Verses 1, 2, and 3 stem from from, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And when godly wisdom is not applied, it ends up in wars and fights. And you know, as as I'm looking at this and studying this throughout this past week and looking at it, I'm thinking, you know, James is writing to Christians. (laughs) He's writing to the Christian. You know, and I, and I think, man, why, why were these letters written in the first place? We, we look at them as scripture, but why were they written when we read Paul's letters, when we read James' letters or Peter's letters? They were written to people that were continuing to mess up day in and day out. It's like, stop doing that. And today we read it and, and we can look at it right now and go, we should stop doing that. <laughs> yes. And it applies today just like it applied to them back then. He's writing to Christians, brothers and sisters, who were quarreling, battling, having conflict and fighting among themselves. And yet all the while, it says, and you don't ask God. You don't seek God for help and wisdom. And when they did... (laughs) It was for and with selfish motives and pleasures. And as I'm looking at the study, I'm looking at it going, man, this is pretty discouraging. When you're looking at it going, man, for all these years, we we still haven't got it right. Throughout all these years, there's still battles, conflicts. And I'm looking at it yesterday, and I am getting a little discouraged. As I'm looking at it, I'm going, man, it seems like we can never win. (laughs) So let's read on and see if it gets any better. (laughs) Verse 4. Adulterers. (laughs) Adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of God makes himself, or a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? It's like, what? Instead of calling them, hey brethren, my beloved brethren, as he has before, he says, you guys are adulterers and adulterers. You're an adulterous people. And in the amplified, it sounds like this: this first part. You are like unfaithful wives having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Whoa. Now that, that doesn't mean that he he still it doesn't mean that he doesn't love them still. He still does. But he is not happy. <laughs> He is not rejoicing over their conduct, the way they're treating one another. And he's calling them out on the carpet in love, truly. He's he, he saying, Man, you're, you're supposed to be married to Christ. You're supposed to be this loving family. And yet, look at the way you're acting. Romans 7 4 says, that you may be married to another, to him who is risen from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And so what James is is saying is, you are married to Christ, and yet you want to be friends with benefits, with the world. You're committing spiritual immorality. You see, the children of Israel, they understood this these who had come out of Judaism, they understood what what he is getting to right here in verse 4 when he's calling them adulterers, adulteresses, when he's calling them an adulterous people. They understood it all too well because Israel time and time again went after other gods and in that that sense they were committing spiritual immorality. They had given themselves over to other gods. They were having a, a love affair with other gods. And so they knew exactly when, when James is using this verbiage here, he, he he is getting to their hearts. He's like pounding them. In this sense, James is calling them out for having or wanting a love affair with the world. And I know most of you guys know this. Won't be no surprise, but the world is very attractive. It catches our eye all the time. If the world wasn't attractive, it wouldn't draw our attention. Just like sin. Sin is fun. Or else we wouldn't do it. If it's not fun, eh, we don't want to do it. If it's not attractive, it's not tempting. (laughs) But the world is, is, is attractive. And we desire it. And this is what John, the Apostle John says in 1 John 2:15 and 16. He says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world. What, what the world offers and what Christ offers are two totally different things. From one end of the spectrum to the other, but it's not so much a spectrum from side to side. It's more up and down. There's a vast difference. Turn, if you will, to to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. In this chapter, Jesus is praying for His disciples and those who would come after Him. And He's praying that, that God would... Would, 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 would surround them because of the love that he has for them. John ch- chapter 17 beginning in verse 14 to 19. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just like, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Or sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. That word sanctified is to be set apart. Jesus says, I have set myself apart so they can set themselves apart in this world. There, there has to be this difference as Christians that, that, that we no longer want to follow the things of the world because the things of the world are not of the Father. He hasn't decided to take us out, so He keeps us here so that we can be a light to the world. And I know that sometimes we're going like, man, Lord, can't you just take us out instead when we become Christians? It's like, no. He says, I don't pray for that. I pray that you would just keep them from the evil one. God is a jealous God. And rightfully so. The, 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 the same kind of jealousy that a, a husband or a wife would have when, it has, when they have to compete With someone else that is trying to lure their spouse away. There should be a jealousy there to fight for. But it's more than that with God. God is our creator, guys. He has a right to be jealous, man. He loves you so much. He's created you in such a way that He wants this intimate relationship with you and you're going, but I think I love the world. I want to have a little affair with the world. He's saying, but I've I've given you all that is needed to satisfy. Because the world will never satisfy. There's nothing that will satisfy you there. And so if there's a glimmer of hope in this study. If there's a glimmer of hope in these verses, it's in verse 6. Where it says, but he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. Whew. Jesus is full of grace and truth; he truly is. He gives us grace for grace. I have that in my in my office on my wall: "Grace for grace." One of my favorite scriptures. It comes from First John, or from John, the Gospel of John, 1.16 where it says, "And and of his fullness we have received." And grace for grace. And I love the way they amplified. If I had a bigger wall, I might have put this on there. But but it says this in the amplified. For out of his fullness, abundance, we have received, all had a share, and we were all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and favor upon favor and gift heaped, upon gift. (laughs) That's what He does. He is full of grace that He gives you more grace. He understands who we are. He knows that we battle and we fight every day. He understands what it means that the spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. And as we battle, as we fight, He says, here's more grace for you because I know you're messing it up. (laughs) But here's some more. I will give you grace upon grace. And we'll give you grace for grace. It's like, here's some more. Here's some more. Because He knows that we're battling and we're fighting day after, after day. And in that verse, in verse 6, He quotes Proverbs 3, 20, or 34. He says, Surely He scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. And that word grace means unmerited favor. In other words, you can do nothing... To merit God's favor. He just gives it to you. It literally means. Getting what you do not deserve. That's what he gives. He gives more of it. Abundantly. He pours it on. Wars and fights. Come from a result of pride. Because we didn't get our way. Because someone hurt our feelings. Because we're little babies. And how many wars and how many fights throughout the centuries has there been because somebody didn't get their way. Some country got their feelings hurt and they went against someone else. it all because of pride. Because someone insisted that they get their own way and so they fight and they war and humility has no part of that equation they didn't exercise humility because if they would have used or exercised humility then they would have squelched squashed the fight <laughs> the way to overcome wars and fights is by humility because whenever humility is used satan loses Every time. Every time we use humility, our flesh hates it. (laughs) Because it's very prideful. Every time we exercise humility, this world loses again. (laughs) We heard at the men's retreat last week from Gail Irwin. He said this, he says, Whenever we are blessing others, we're not sinning. Whenever we are other-centered, we are not sinning. And I like that. But then in my little pea brain, I started thinking, unless we're doing it with wrong motives, oh, I'm going to bless them to see what I can get off of this. It's like, ah! That's how much we battle. Even when we want to do good sometimes, it's because we're selfish and we want something in return. Guys, we're going to have a time of communion right now. And it's going to be a time when you can come up during the songs to come and have communion by yourself or with your family. If you want to go grab your kids so you can do it as a family Right on, go do that. But what a time right now that we can have because many of you, in hearing about wars and fights, have been in wars and fights, maybe even as you drove here with one another. And God wants you to humble yourself. And maybe you need to come and grab communion for you and your husband or you and your wife and apologize and get on your knees and take communion together. Maybe you want to go grab your kids because you just chewed them all out on your way over here and say, go be good little hypocrites in there. <laughs> Nothing happened, right? And God wants to crush that. What a great time to just humble ourselves before God. What a great time it is to, if you need to, to get alone by yourself in the corner or up here and get on your knees, get on your face and ask for forgiveness. As we understand that Jesus humbled himself, he left the throne so he can come and and die and become a man so that you and I can have a relationship with him. That's how much He loves you. That's how much grace He shows. Isn't that amazing? It's ridiculous how much He he loves us. It's times like communion that we can just have this special time because you can make it as special as you want or you can just make it routine and go on with yourself. (laughs) But He wants to spend that intimate time with you because you've been battling, you've been warring within yourself and He's going... You can overcome this. I have died so that you can overcome. And so I want to encourage you guys. We're going to have some songs going. You just come up when you're ready. But pray before you come up that God prepares you for this intimate time with Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we do come before You right now. Lord, we ask that God Yours forgive us. Lord, each and every one of us, Lord, has this battle raging within us. Every day, Lord, we have to fight the flesh and we have to fight the world. Every day it seems like Satan is just on our tail. Lord, we get tired. And Lord, right now when we're in this place together as believers, I pray that, Father, right now we would let down our guard and we would be able to humble ourselves before you. Lord, you've given us the ability to have victory over sin. You've freed us. You've broken the chains, Lord. And in this time of communion, I pray, God, that we would just humble ourselves to thank you and to adore you for what you have allowed your Son to go through on our behalf. And once again, Lord, we would get right with you Lord, that when these battles and these wars come against us, Lord, when our pride begins to creep up again, that we would be able to have victory just because of what you did on the cross for us. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Help them, Lord, to have victory. I pray that if there's there's any who had come in this morning not knowing you, Lord, I pray that you would capture their heart. Lord, maybe they might not totally understand what communion is all about right now, Lord. Father, that they would know that you sent your Son to die on their behalf. That you allowed your body to be broken and beaten and and, and bruised for us. That you allowed your blood to be shed so that we can be cleansed from all sin. You allowed man to have its way. And so, Lord, I pray for those who might not know you that even if they don't understand it all, they would understand that. And that they would repent. They would turn from their sin, Lord, and desire you. So go with us now, even as we spend this time with you, Lord. That you just bless this time. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.